Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Bill Telephone Education Series. Dr. Bill Sikesha is the Chief of Optometric Services and Coordinator of Children's Programs for the Center for the Farsi Sighted, as well as Consulting Director of Low Vision Training for Braille Institute. Tonight's topic is cortical visual impairment, and we are just very fortunate to have Dr. Bill as our speaker, and we look forward to a great lecture. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much, Sue, and I want to thank all of you, ladies and gentlemen, for attending this seminar that we're going to have this evening. I know that it's not easy to get home and eat dinner and then go on a lecture at 7.30 at night, but uh, I really do appreciate that. And this lecture is being recorded by Airs LA, and you will be able to hear it later at www. A-I-R-S-L-A.org, and also at the Braille Institute webpage at www.brailleinstitute.org. Because this is being recorded, we asked if you could, please stay on the call for the duration of the lecture so that we don't have as much editing to do, and that'll make things a lot easier. And what we'll do is we'll talk about cortical vision impairment for about 45 minutes, and then we can open it up to questions. Also, this evening, we do have a person who does have cortical vision impairment, and she has even stated that she'd be willing to answer any questions that you may have. So the first thing that I'd like to talk about is, what is cortical vision impairment? Cortical vision impairment is often abbreviated CVI, well, it is really becoming a major cause of vision impairment among those in the United States as well as in the world. Cortical vision impairment is becoming one of the leading causes of vision impairment among children in major countries throughout the world. In some studies, if you look at the data, some studies have even reported that cortical vision impairment is now the leading cause of legal blindness among children in the United States. Now, cortical vision impairment basically means that the visual regions of the brain do not process the information normally. So when the eyes see an object and sends an electrical signal to the brain, the eyes are normally working very well among those children and adults with cortical vision impairment. But by the time that those electrical signals are received by the brain, the brain has difficulty processing that information. So to better understand what is cortical vision impairment, we'll break down how is it that vision takes place. And to break it down in the most simple way, we'll just begin with the fact that we do have two eyes and attached to each eye is a nerve and that nerve is called the optic nerve. Now, when we look at the optic nerve, it looks just like a cable on your TV. But if we were to cut it open, it's very, very complex in that there are hundreds of thousands of small little fibers. So in the optic nerve, we estimate that there's about 700 to 800,000 little fibers. And because there are so many different little fibers in there, this is the reason why we cannot perform eye transplants. Because there are so many fibers inside the optic nerve, it is not possible to cut 
the I from one person and attach it to that other person because you would have to actually attach over 700,000 little fibers, and that would just be virtually impossible to connect that many. Even if we only had to connect seven nerves, that would also be very difficult because it would be very difficult to know which nerve gets connected with which other nerve. Now, once the eyes look at an image and it sends the signals through the optic nerve, the optic nerve then paths its way to the very back of the brain and it eventually reaches the very back portion of your head and that part of the brain is called the occipital lobe of the brain. The occipital lobe of the brain is where visual information is then processed. In other words, if we are going to look at something, the occipital lobe of the brain takes that information and it is going to identify what is that object. It can also give us other information that helps us to understand what color is it. Is it moving? Is it stationary? Is it coming closer? Is it getting further away? So the occipital lobe in the back of the head gives us all of that type of visual information. From there, the occipital lobe then will send signals to different regions of the brain, and these different regions of the brain will perform other visual skills. For example, if we send signals to the front region of the brain near the forehead area, that will tell the eyes to scan and look from left to right, just the way that we move our eyes when we read. The occipital lobe of the brain may also send electrical signals to a different part of the brain called the parietal lobe of the brain. And it will tell the parietal lobe of the brain, hey, follow that moving ball. And when the parietal lobe of the brain tells the eyes to follow it, that's the way that we could follow a ball that's coming to us and we could catch it. We also have other regions of the brain where the occipital lobe of the brain will send signals and other types of processing will occur. It will tell the brain to remember what you have seen or it will tell the brain to say what that object is. So overall, when we think about how the brain is organized, two-thirds of the brain is involved in the process of vision. Two-thirds. So it's really amazing to understand how complicated vision is and how much of the brain is involved in that process of vision. So when we do see children who are born and they have suffered from the lack of oxygen because perhaps they weren't breathing at birth, or number two, it may be that that child suffered from a brain hemorrhage and there was blood that was bleeding and certain regions of the brain did not get enough blood and thus they did not receive enough oxygen. Or number three, it could also be that for some children, they may have suffered from hydrocephalus and that is where the fluid that typically floats around the brain, it is not able to flow smoothly around the brain and it actually causes pressure 
and that pressure presses onto these regions of the brain and it affects that type of function. Or there's other situations where children may be born and there's different types of infections. Unfortunately, some babies are born and they have meningitis or encephalitis. And these are conditions where the brain has become infected. And that infection affects the function of the brain. And then we also have other children who may have suffered from seizures. And when a child is suffering from seizures, the brain is not receiving oxygen. And that also affects the function of the brain. Now, it doesn't only have to be that the child is born with some of these problems that they develop cortical vision impairment. Another cause of cortical vision impairment may be that later on in life, that child may have suffered from trauma. It may be that that child has fallen off of a couch and hit his or her head on the floor, and that has caused damage to the brain. Or we see other times that there are children who have been playing, and they're playing and they begin to suffocate. Sometimes it might be in the bathtub. Other times it might be that a child has suffered from trauma or they have suffered from shaken baby syndrome where an adult or another person has injured that brain. So overall, when we think about the child who has cortical vision impairment, we understand that the main reason, the main reason that that child or that adult is not seen normally is because there's a difference to a region or many regions of the brain. It's also important to remember that a person may have an eye problem and they may also have cortical vision impairment. For example, there are some children that may be born and maybe they have a eye that is cross-eyed and that causes them to see double vision. But in addition to that, they have cortical vision impairment and the brain does not know how to control the alignment of the eyes. So a person may have a problem with the eyes and still have cortical vision impairment. But the main reason, the primary reason why that child does not see well is because that type of problem to the visual centers of the brain. Now when we think about how is cortical vision impairment diagnosed? This is something that is very, very complex for many people to understand because of the fact that the eye doctors will look at the eyes of the child and the eyes look healthy, but we know that this child doesn't see. This child doesn't make eye contact or the child doesn't smile when you put a toy there or you turn off the lights in the room and you turn on a flashlight and the child doesn't look at it, you can identify that this child doesn't see normally. And for these kids, we often will identify or make the tentative diagnosis that they have cortical vision impairment. If we then ask the parents, did your child have any problems breathing at birth? Was there a brain hemorrhage? Did your child suffer from a seizure? or hydrocephalus, or did your child ever get hit in the head? When we begin to ask these questions, parents will often say, yes, that did happen, or yes, my child wasn't breathing, or for a while my child even turned blue. 
That type of information that we receive from the parents often leads us to understand that this child does have cortical vision impairment. But there are also other new tests that doctors will perform to try to more accurately diagnose cortical vision impairment. The first thing that the doctors may do is that the doctors may order a functional MRI. Now, the functional MRI stands for Magnetic Renaissance Imaging, where a child could be placed into a machine and the instrument will actually be able to look inside the brain. And we could see what is the functional activity of different regions of the brain. With this particular type of a test, we could see which part of the brain is not working properly. Maybe it's the right side of the brain, or maybe it's the left side, or maybe it's just only the back, the occipital of the brain. But by performing the functional MRI, we could identify what region of the brain has been affected, and from that, we could then state that this child has cortical vision impairment. Another test that is also performed is an electrodiagnostic test, and this is something that's called a visual evoked potential. Now, this is a particular test that is going to measure how functional is the optic nerve. The optic nerve, again, is that nerve that sends information from the eyes to the back of the brain. So in some kids, we might look at the eyes, and the eyes might look healthy, but the child isn't focusing properly. But if we do the VER, we could then see whether or not that information is actually reaching the back of the brain, and if it is a problem with the VER, we can often identify that there's a problem with that optic nerve. Another type of electrodiagnostic test is that in some cases, we will even study the retina even further. What's kind of interesting is as eye doctors, we could look inside the tissues of the eyes, and for the most part, we could identify very easily if there's a cataract or if there's a problem with a cornea or if there's glaucoma, or anything like that. But there's many times that we look at the retina, and the retina is a tissue that lines the inside of the eye. It's almost though if you put wallpaper on the inside of the eye. Now, when we look with our instruments, many times it may look perfectly healthy. It's a very pinkish-orange color. The blood vessels are distributing the blood properly. But we honestly don't know how is each cell, how is each cell in the retina functioning. So another type of test that we may perform is called the electroretinogram, ERG. And this is a test where a child is going to be placed inside of a round dome. And within that dome, we're going to flashlights and we can measure the electrical signals as it's being sent from the retina to the back of the brain. And from that, we could identify if there is a retina problem or not. So through these electrodiagnostic tests here, we could see, do we really have a problem with the retina or the optic nerve, or is it with some of these regions of the brain? 
And in most cases, we are able to identify that it is cortical vision impairment. Now, the first thing that you have to understand about cortical vision impairment is that cortical vision impairment does not mean, it does not mean that that person is totally blind. You know, years ago when I was in school, when we understood that a person had a brain injury that affected their vision, we almost always assumed that that person is totally blind. And the diagnosis for that was something called cortical blindness. When we circled the insurance billing form, the only thing that we could circle at that time was cortical blindness. But what we know today, we know things that are very, very different. And what we know is that, number one, that those children and adults who have cortical vision impairment are generally not blind. In fact, we find that at our studies at the Center for the Partially Sighted, 91% of the people with cortical vision impairment had functional vision. So that means over 9 out of every 10 do have functional vision. Number two, we have learned that those children who have cortical vision impairment, they have different types of vision. They don't use their vision the way that maybe you or another person who's fully sighted will use their vision. But they use their vision differently. And we'll be talking about that in depth in just a minute. And number three, one of the most interesting and the most significant research studies came out from Christine Roman Lancy. And her studies have reported that children and adults who suffer from cortical vision impairment that their vision will improve after receiving vision stimulation for a period of 3.7 years. And according to her paper, it does not matter what age you are. Now, this is really amazing because for most of us who have been in eye doctor school and such, we were under the impression that if you don't treat it before the age of five, it probably won't get any better. But again, Christine Roman Lancy's paper has shown that nearly 98% of those children who did receive visual stimulation developed significantly higher levels of vision by approximately 3.7 years. And it didn't matter if they received the stimulation when they were two months old or 10 years old or 20 years old, but this kind of visual stimulation did help to promote their vision. So the significance of all of this is that with the technology we have today, we can identify the children and adults who have cortical vision impairment. And number two, we now know that it's very helpful to provide the visual stimulation to these children and adults at any age, but we must do it consistently for about 3.7 years. And this is really, truly remarkable because this is one situation where we could say children who are legally blind 
can develop higher levels of vision by implementing this type of visual stimulation. Now, are there other forms of cortical vision impairment that we haven't talked about thus far? And the answer to that is yes. Cortical blindness, as I mentioned, is a form in which a person sees absolutely nothing. They cannot see anything. You face them towards the sun, they can feel the sun, but they don't see it. And for those who have cortical blindness, there is no treatment that I have read about that can help those to develop more vision. Another form is called delayed visual maturation, DVM, for delayed visual maturation. And this accounts for a very small group, approximately 2% of those children with neurologically related vision impairment. And these children will generally develop normal vision by the age of three years. There is something different about the way that their nerves within the brain send signal and are processed by different regions of the brain. But with these children, we find that they will develop higher levels of vision very rapidly, and we often see that in some kids, even by the time that they're 12 months of age, their vision is normal. But for most, we see that it's by three years of age, their vision is normal. So that is a very encouraging type of diagnosis to get. And then the remainder, the remainder of the children with neurological vision impairment have cortical vision impairment. So if we break it down, we would say that 91% of those kids with neurological vision impairment have cortical vision impairment. 7% are cortically blind, and 2% have delayed visual maturation. So overall, what this is really telling us is that the majority of the children who do have vision impairment that's due to a brain injury or the lack of oxygen or the lack of circulation, the majority of these children and adults have cortical vision impairment and this is the type that can be treated. Now let's talk about how is it that children and adults with cortical vision impairment, how do they see? In other words, what is their vision like? Now the first thing that we'll talk about is the fact that their clarity of sight, the way that they see, is often not going to be normal. When we try to look at something and identify the details of it, let's say we want to identify a very small letter or we want to identify a picture, okay, we usually are going to use the center of our eyes. Let's say that you're watching your television and you want to identify a person's face on the screen. Well, what you do is you will move your eyes until you have that person's face on your central vision. That central vision is the part of your eye and brain that allows you to identify the details. And for most of you, you may have very strong central vision. 
If you put on glasses, you could see perfectly clearly 2020 eyesight. You could read the smallest print in books. You could read those expiration dates on coupons. You could see all of that, and that's because your central vision is very strong. But with cortical vision impairment, many of the children and adults who have CVI, they do not have normal central vision. In fact, in many cases, it is said that children and adults with cortical vision impairment, their vision is almost like looking through Swiss cheese that's covered with wax paper. There's holes where you could see through it, but because the wax paper is there, you don't see the details very well. Now, because the children with CVI don't have that type of detailed clarity of sight, they often do not make eye contact. A mother or father will pick up that baby. That baby doesn't make eye contact. Why doesn't that child make eye contact? Because when that child tries to use his or her central vision, it's blurry. They don't see it well. So what we need to do with children with cortical vision impairment, we do need to perform special tests to determine, can we do something to improve that child's clarity of sight? If we can improve that child's clarity of sight, that child may begin to make more eye contact. And for any of you who have your own children and you pick up that child for the first time and that child makes eye contact with you, it's a feeling that you just cannot describe. It is so amazing. You know, I've always really loved children and I've examined children all of my professional career. But it wasn't until my wife delivered our first child, our daughter. And when our daughter popped her head out. She did not even wait for her whole body to come out, but she opened her eyes and she was looking right at my face. I just couldn't believe it. I said, no, this isn't supposed to happen. Babies aren't supposed to do this. I moved my head and she turned her head and looked at me again. And the doctor delivered her, had me carry her. And that whole time that I was carrying her, She just kept looking at my face. It was a feeling that I will never forget, but it shows you that with that type of eye contact, there is a form of communication. There's truly a form of bonding. I mean, we couldn't talk to each other, but that eye contact really meant something. So we want to, first of all, prescribe specialized glasses for the kids with CVI. And we're going to prescribe glasses for that child's developmental level. If this is a child who is a newborn, we want the eyes to be focused at a distance of 8 to 16 inches. But if this is also a 4-year-old child and that child still doesn't make eye contact, we also want this child to focus at a distance of 8 to 16 inches. The reason for that is that that is such an important developmental milestone that we want that child to focus at that distance to maximize that child's ability to make eye contact. And we can prescribe glasses that are going to intensify the contrast, magnify the image. We could sharpen the image. We could do all sorts of things that will help that child to begin to make eye contact. 
Number two, children with cortical vision impairment often do not focus at the normal distances that children who have typical vision will focus at. In other words, the typical child who has perfect vision at birth will focus at 8 to 16 inches, but the child with CVI, they might focus at a distance of 3 to 4 inches. They might enjoy looking at their fingers and wiggling their fingers, but they won't look at your face. So for those children, we will prescribe glasses to adjust the focus for that eye contact distance of 8 to 16 inches. Number three, children with cortical vision impairment may often have very different color vision. Now what we know about all children is that during the first two months of life, most children will not have color vision. Their vision is like watching a black and white TV. But with children with cortical vision impairment, as they get older, three, four, five, six months of age, they're often very interested in looking at red or yellow. And their eyes are much more interested in looking at red and yellow. So they may only look at things that are red and yellow. In these cases, we may then prescribe a tinted lens to diffuse or to fade out some of this red and yellow to help the child to begin to look at other types of colors. So this is something that's very effective to incorporate onto the glasses. Number four, we want to then look at the central versus peripheral vision of the children with cortical vision impairment. We often think that all children have central vision and they have peripheral vision. These kids will use their central vision to make eye contact, but they use their peripheral vision to see toys or obstacles or other things you might be handing that child. What we know is that for many children with cortical vision impairment, they may have no central vision. So they don't make any eye contact. Now you're going to hand that child a toy and you put it right in the center of that child's face and that child doesn't even see it. Or you're going to try to feed that child and that child doesn't see the spoon or the bottle that you're presenting right from the center. So for children with cortical vision impairment who do not have that normal central vision, we need to present the toys and the bottle and the food. We need to present your face, not from the midline of the child, but we want to present it from different sides. And what you may notice is the child may recognize that you're coming from the side. The child may even turn his or her eyes to look at you with a central vision, and then they move their eyes and look away. The reason that they look at you and then look away is because when they look at you with their central vision, they can't see you anymore. But when they look away, they are now able to use their peripheral vision and they do see you. This is very, very similar to many children who have autism spectrum disorders too. They do not have the normal central vision to be able to maintain center focus. So they look at you using their peripheral vision. The kids with cortical vision impairment generally have 
stronger-than-normal peripheral vision. You might say, what do you mean by that? A lot of adults don't even understand central versus peripheral vision. But let's say that you are driving in your car, you're going down the road, and you're looking at the license plate in the car in front of you. When you're reading the letters on the license plate, you're using your central vision. And as you're reading those letters, you suddenly see something such as a bicycle coming from the street, and it's on your side, and you see that bicycle coming. You're able to see that bicycle approaching your car with your peripheral vision. Now, there are children who have cortical vision impairment that their peripheral vision is ultra-sensitive. It is so sensitive that they see all these things coming in through their peripheral vision. It's almost as though everything that's presented within the peripheral vision is extra bright. It's extra colorful. It's extra intense. And when they see all of these things coming in through their peripheral vision, it's often overwhelming for these kids also. And this is why many kids with cortical vision impairment, they will literally turn away from you. They will turn their head, put their head in the corner of the room. Others will turn their head and put their head into the pillow in their bed. It's because they have so much peripheral visual distraction that they are overwhelmed. It's an analogy just like you going into the magic house or the haunted house and you got all of these ghosts and lights and other things coming from the side. You just can't handle it anymore. You want to close your eyes so you don't see it. And that's what happens to these kids with cortical vision impairment. So we tell parents, if your child is a child with CVI who has too much peripheral vision, we're going to tell you, hey, let's tone down the room a little bit. There's too many decorations in here. you got clowns and monkeys and all of these characters that are painted on the wall. you got all of these things hanging from the ceiling. This child will never be able to fall asleep in this room. It's just too much information. We want to reduce the amount of peripheral clutter in the room. For these kids, we will also use lenses in their glasses, and we may tint the glasses. And by tinting the glasses, we could reduce the amount of visual information that's coming in through the peripheral vision. In some cases, we will only tint the periphery of the lenses and we will keep the center of the glasses clear. And this is the way that the child learns to use the central vision and is starting to filter out the peripheral vision. You find that there's other times that you might be working with students who are in school or in college or they're working and they have a history of cortical vision impairment. And when they read, they are concentrating so hard to read. The reason for that is that when they look at the newspaper or they're looking at a book, there's too much information on the page. They are often going to be able to read things much easier if we cover a large section of the paper. Or if they're reading a newspaper, we'll say, fold the paper so that there's only one column visible. We will tell some people, if you're going to be typing notes for yourself to study for school, change the margins. You don't need to type words across the entire width of the paper. Let's go ahead and just type it on half of the page. 
so that there's less clutter. We recommend for many of the kids with CBI that they use double space. In other words, we don't want single space on the lines, but we want double space. And by doing that, there's less clutter that's going to be very distracting. Another thing that we recommend for our students and adults who are reading is that we will make a typoscope. And that's a word of a device. Basically, what we do is we get a piece of cardboard or plastic or paper, and we cut out a window in that paper so that only one line is showing. Or it might be that only one part of a line is showing. So when the person is reading, they might see three words at a time, and they move that card as they go from left to right, up and down, and it helps them to read much, much easier. Another really very effective tool now that we have computers and things are that we can also set up computers with different software so that it may only display one row of text. So think about this. Somebody has given you a document to read, and it's a 300-page book. Well, one of the things that we could do with these types of books is that we could scan them into the computer very quickly and with a program such as Kurzweil, we could set it so that only one line of text is going to be shown on your computer screen. And the rest of it is just black or white or blue or whatever color you choose. And those words will then just move across your screen, similar to a Wall Street ticker tape. And for many people who have cortical vision impairment, they are able to read so comfortably, so quickly, and they say this is the way that they're able to get by and do all their work. So this is another thing that's very important is to understand what is that child's or adult's peripheral vision like. Another thing that we then look at is how are the eye muscles working for that person with cortical vision impairment? In many cases, the two eyes may not be precisely aligned. You know, you could look at a lot of people and their eyes appear to be perfectly straight. But when we measure the alignment of the eyes as doctors, we may find that the eyes are really crossed or one eye is pointing higher than the other. And as a result, the brain is working very hard to prevent from seeing double vision. So in these cases, we could prescribe prisms to help and there's also exercises that you can have that child perform to strengthen the muscles. We also know that with cortical vision impairment, it doesn't only affect those skills of what we see, but it also could affect how does our body respond to it. Now, what do we mean by that? What we mean is that let's say that we're walking down the street and as we're walking down the street, we notice that there's an obstacle on the sidewalk. And you realize, hey, that's a newspaper. I better just step over it, and I will not trip over that. Well, with many children and adults with cortical vision impairment, they may be able to see that newspaper that's on the sidewalk. But when they tell their leg to step over it, they can't step over it at the precise time. And they might trip and stumble. We find in other situations their depth perception is reduced. So when they are trying to step 
over it, they actually don't step completely over it because their depth perception is poor. Or we may see that they have significant difficulty reaching to grab a cup to drink water. Or if they're trying to write something, they can't write, they can't draw, they can't copy properly because the CBI has affected the visual motor system within the brain. And the last thing that we'll talk about tonight is that CBI can also affect the processing of the brain. One of the things that might seem very simple to one person could be very difficult to another. And let's say that I were to build a puzzle with some blocks. I have three different blocks, and I ask you to make that same pattern. Well, many people with cortical vision impairment are not able to replicate it. They have to build it directly on top of your blocks in order to copy it. There's other times that a person may have really poor visual memory. You show them the blocks, you let them look at it for 10 seconds, then you cover it and you ask them to build it, and they can't build it from memory. All of these types of functions affect their academic performance. It affects how they do daily activities at home, whether it's cooking or folding clothes or just walking around the block. And it also is something that affects their self-esteem because things that they feel should be easy to do, they're not able to do it so easily. So the visual stimulation program that we provide along with many different agencies, Braille Institute, Junior Blind of America, TLC, the different school districts, these activities are designed to treat each and every one of these areas that a person might have weaknesses. And it's equally important that the doctors write a report that describes each of these strengths and weaknesses and tells the teachers at school what they could do to make it easier for that child. And by using these particular types of reports, we're able to make the lives of these kids a lot easier and we help them to succeed and achieve their goals academically and within their career. So at this time, I'm going to go ahead and ask you to unmute your phone by pressing star six if you have a question, and you could announce your name if you like, but you don't have to, and you can ask uh, myself or Sue, and we also have a guest on the phone who has cortical vision impairment, and uh, we could ask her if she would like to answer any of those questions. I believe, uh, Sue, was her name Terry? I believe so. Maybe she can reveal herself now. Yeah, Terry. Okay, great. It is Terry. Is that what I heard? I believe so. Okay. All right. Does anybody have any questions? If anybody has uh, the interest in learning more about these things and these activities, I first just want to announce that we do have a cortical vision impairment study group. We're called the CVI Consortium, and if you are to email Sue Strafasi or myself, uh, we can forward you all of these materials and packets that show all of these different activities and exercises. We have toys to purchase. We have activities that are great for the iPad. We have other types of games that are great for the Android cell phones. Uh, we, we have a lot. 
and very shortly we'll be coming out with our Spanish version. So you can email uh, me at Dr. Bill Foundation. That's D R B I L L Foundation at gmail dot com. I can be reached at um, S Strafasi S S T R A S is in Frank A C I at BrailleInstitute dot org. Okay, let's see. Does anybody have any questions about anything that we talked about this evening? I had a question. Um, I was wondering, um, is it possible? I know that a lot of characteristics of the CBI um, can resolve over time with proper treatment and therapy, but is it possible to ever resolve a CBI completely? Yeah, that's a really great case. And the question is, if a person has CVI, can their visual problems ever resolve completely? And I would have to say, based on my own experience with some of the patients that I have worked with, I've been in practice since 1987, so we're going on 30 years. The answer to that is yes. It is yes. I have had patients who have suffered from cortical vision impairment and they have worked with their vision, and they do see very, very normally. So, yes. Now, there are some situations, though, which I like to say is that there are some people who have cortical vision impairment, but the injury to the brain has also affected possibly other parts of their body. So, for example, there are some people who may have cerebral palsy, and because of the cerebral palsy, some of them, they do not walk quite perfectly. There's one boy that I remember working with, and he works great. You know, he walks with a walker, plays sports, and he does all sorts of things. He's now in his mid-20s, and he's very successful. Um, but he still does have some difficulties with walking. Mm -hmm. uh, another situation might be that there are some people who have suffered from injury to the speech center of the brain. And some of these people, they will say, well, yeah, I'm able to talk, but if people are speaking too quickly around me, I can't understand them. Or mm -hmm. if I go to a restaurant with four of my friends and it's so noisy in there, I have a hard time. I got to really concentrate. So they may have other types of problems and, and these other problems may also linger. Okay? Okay. Great. Does anybody else have another good question like that one? Dr. I Bill? Yes, please. Thank you. This is Linda again. Um, I'm, I'm so encouraged with uh, this uh, seminar tonight with the information that you've given because I would say probably 75% of my students have some CVI um, involvement. And... Um, you mentioned that um, that the eye doctors want the doctors to write information in their reports to yes. um, to encourage the teachers to notify the parents, of course. Um, but I, what I've noticed is a lot of times, even the parents, doctors are not as informative as you are. They don't volunteer information, and parents don't know what to ask. And um, how can we, as teachers or those of us that are uh, listening tonight, how can we get that across to a doctor that it's so important to 
give us information. I learned much from from my classes at Cal State LA and, and the one that I was in with you, but there's so much more to learn. I mean, and like you say, there's there's breakthroughs even now, like knowing that a child a child could still have the possibility to see with three and a half years of of continuous a uh, consistent learning. So how can we le- how can we encourage the doctors to do that, or do we ask the parents to ask the doctors? Yes, that's a really outstanding question. And there's a few things that I would say about that. The first thing is that the number of doctors who are really experienced in evaluating children with cortical vision impairment, it's very, very few. There are very few doctors. Number two, if a doctor is going to evaluate the child with cortical vision impairment, they have to have a lot of patience and a lot of time. Many doctors, many pediatric eye doctors, they may see up to 100 patients per day. And at our center, we see six patients a day. So the amount of time that most pediatric eye doctors have, they don't have the time to really observe all of these particular types of behaviors. So what I would recommend is that if you do have a family with a child with cortical vision impairment, I would encourage that they listen to this podcast. We will make an announcement and forward you this podcast so you can have it available so that these families can listen to this. And then if the families are willing to go to the next step and to try to help improve their child's vision, no matter where they are in the country, uh, Sue and I we will find those doctors that are really qualified and those doctors will automatically write those types of reports for the school. So I I think that... I am encouraged. Thank you. Yes, this might be the easiest way and uh, we will send out a notification of this podcast later this week and we can help. And Again, Sue and I Mm -hmm. and my doctors at the Center for the Parsi decided we are more than happy to talk to any of the parents also. Mm -hmm. If any of you have parents that have a child with cortical vision impairment or you have an adult with cortical vision impairment, Mm -hmm. we'll be happy to call them. Very, very much so. Or have them them contact us and that's fine. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, it's our pleasure. Uh, Let's see. We have time for another question. Anybody else have a question out there? You know, I have a question, and the question would be, hey, uh, Dr. Bill, are there any doctors out there that will provide this kind of visual stimulation for my child? And the answer is yes. There are eye doctors that will provide this type of visual stimulation for the children with cortical vision impairment. But unfortunately, many children who have cortical vision impairment they have Medicaid insurance, and the Medicaid insurance will not pay for the therapy. So what we find is that there are now many teachers for the visually impaired who attend our seminars and lectures, and they learn how to do these activities. Christine Roman Lancy, she is also a great resource. So 
once we find anybody who has a child with cortical vision impairment, we will direct them to our reference list if they want to read more or they just want to talk to the doctors, and that will be really helpful. Let's see, does anybody else have any other final questions? I have a question. Yes, um, please. Go right ahead. Thank you. This is, this is Franny's mom, the the CVI child that yes. spoke Yes, hi, Franny. Okay. Um, my question is, how... Where can we find a visual um, simulator so that her teachers and, like, her general ed teachers can have an idea of what she sees? Because I, I think being mainstreamed um, and not at CSB, that sometimes they don't, um, they don't know what she sees because she has shaken baby syndrome. Um, and her eyes are beautiful. They don't look blind at all, and so mm-hmm. she doesn't look blind, and she wears glasses, so sometimes I think they get the um, the feeling that she sees better than she does, and we tried to find some sort of a visual um, simulator that we could show them when she looks at this, this is what she sees, so that they would understand just how low her vision is sometimes, because her vision changes according to, you know, what's going on in her world at that given moment. You know, that's such a great point that you bring that up. I I failed to even mention that. But with people who have CBI, their vision fluctuates. One day, it could be better than another. As they're getting tired, it could be worse. After they eat, it could be better. We have to be aware of that. What I would recommend is that uh, number one, who is your daughter's eye doctor? Um, Dr. Satterfield in at UC Davis, Denise Satterfield. Okay. Well, one of the things that I would then perhaps do is to ask Dr. Satterfield if Dr. Satterfield would be able to make a pair of glasses that would simulate what her vision is like. Okay. okay. That is something that can be done. Uh, the second thing is if Dr. Satterfield's report doesn't review all of these different categories that I talked about, as well as the visual processing, for example, the visual memory and the visual matching and the eye-hand coordination the depth, if all of those tests have not been done, then we probably want to ask Dr. Uh, Satterfield if uh, he or she could do those tests. And then from that, say we'd like to have a similar made. And would that going into the exam room with that specific request would really be very helpful so the doctor knows what we're really trying to do. Mm-hmm. It's also another thing that I do really like, and this is something that at Braille Institute and TLC and Junior Blind here in Los Angeles, they do in almost all cases. When the child or the adult is coming in for the examination, we want those staff members to come to the exam as well. Mm-hmm. And that way we could explain and we could demonstrate and we could show those people exactly what we're seeing. And that makes it really easy. And we'll videotape it with the iPhone or whatever as well. Mm-hmm. So those would be my recommendations. Talk to Dr. Satterfield, letting uh, him or her know that you're looking for a simulator. 
And uh, if at all possible, if the teacher or the one-on-one aide, if that's available, if somebody can come, that would also be very, very good. Okay. Thank you. All right. Great. Well, again, I want to thank each and every one of you for taking the time to come to this lecture this evening. Again, these will be available on podcast at www.brailleinstitute.org and also at www.airsla.org. And if any of you are teachers for the visually impaired, we'll put it on the Braille and Teach listserv so that you'll have information to this. And uh, Sue, what Mm -hmm. do we have on schedule for next month? Well, next month, um, which is, will be February 9th, uh, we'll be talking about optical nerve hypoplasia, and we'll have a very special guest in Dr. Mark Borchert, who will be talking about the frequency of endocrine and hormonal disorders, as long as other updates in, uh, in, in the area of optical nerve hypoplasia. Wow, that's going to be a great one. I sure hope he doesn't ask me too many questions. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay, and Mr. Burden, we thank you also for your time for recording. And so until we meet again next month, uh, stay well and Happy New Year. Good night, everybody.